Welcome to the How Coronavirus Saved My Life podcast. My name is Christine. I'm a mental health nurse practitioner who got coronavirus in April of 2020 and had long COVID symptoms for months. I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting better until I healed myself through unwinding my childhood conditioning. This is my story on how coronavirus saved my life and how I healed myself along with others sharing their own personal stories and how they are navigating through their own healing. Welcome everyone to How Coronavirus Saved My Life podcast, episode 23, The Stigma. Thank you for all for coming to join us. Today's topic is mental health stigma in the Black community. The purpose of today's show is finding solutions to mental health stigma in the Black community. I am honored and humbled to have three mental health experts to discuss and educate people on this topic so that we can help the community find solutions. Before I introduce my esteemed panel of mental health experts, I would like to introduce myself and give some background of what drew me to mental health and why it's important for me to be a part of this discussion. My name is Christine Zethris. I have been a mental health nurse practitioner for over 10 years. I am the podcast host of How Coronavirus Saved My Life. My podcast is about my journey of getting coronavirus back in April of 2020, then having long COVID symptoms and couldn't figure out why I wasn't healing until I healed myself through unwinding my child childhood conditioning my first memory my first memory at four years old was one of violence it was thanksgiving my father was running around with no shirt on high on drugs drunk while my mother was banging on the door screaming my name asking for him to let me out he wouldn't let me out he looked at me and said if you open that door i'm gonna shoot your mother in the head and there was a shotgun and a baseball bat by the front door this was my first memory at four years old, and oh ironically, on Thanksgiving. My father was racist. He said the N-word my entire life. Not just the N-word, but he would use dumb or stupid right before he would say that. I didn't even know what the word meant, but I just knew how my body reacted. The people who raised me were horrible to me and scary. The people who looked like me. So I was raised in an environment of uncertainty and anxiety. The very first time I ever felt love and felt safety was the very first time I ever went to an all black church at 14 years old. When I walked in, everybody was so loving and kind and how ironic from the people that my dad had misguided hatred towards. So these are the reasons why I am drawn to mental health and why spotlighting black issues are important to me. So thank you so much to my esteemed panel for coming to my show and talking about mental health stigma in the black community. My first guest is Ms. Adris, your classy therapist. Um, Adris, can you tell everyone a little bit about your background and what drew you to mental health? Awesome, thank you. And that was well said, Christine. I think it was very touching. Um, my name is Adris, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And honestly, my first major when I originally was going in college was education. And because I come from a family of educators. 
And so when I was going in education, I wanted to help children in a different capacity. And so I switched my major and went to social work. And part of that reason why I went into social work is because some of my upbringing wasn't the walk in the park. And, you know, I had behavioral problems in school. And I can never forget when I was in seventh grade, because I stayed in the principal office, by the way. And then the principal tells me, he said, Adris, you're going to be a social worker. I said, nah, I don't want to be no social worker. I don't want to deal with people's problems all day. He said, watch and, watch and you'll see. You're going to be a social worker. I said, nah, I'm not going to do that. That's not for me. And then that same, I'll never get that same principle, uh, one of the very few field trips I could go on. I went on a field trip and of course I wasn't following directions. I am getting left. And so he ended up having to drive me in his car back, back to the school. And I remember he was riding, he was driving and everything. And I was riding with him. He was saying, I said, I want to get one of these fancy cars one day. He said, you will get this fancy car one day, Adrian. And anything you put your mind to, you'll be able to be able to accomplish it. You know, and back then, you know, a lot of times people can prophesize to you and tell you things. And until now as an adult, everything he said has become true. And so I, the reason why I was drawn to mental health was because I, I tells you no and people tell you no and you fall down to give them reasons to be able to get back up again. Because I can relate to that. And that, that experience, I feel like can be able to help me and help other people and help my clients. And a little bit about me, um, I have a counseling agency here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we provide a wide range of counseling services. And um, that's a little bit about me. I love that story. I That is so true. Um, I mean, that childhood programming starts so early. I mean, from the time we were born, the things that we hear, not just from our own parents, but from society. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, children, you know, they learn not really through words, through behaviors. And so if you could give the greatest speech in the whole wide world, but if you're not walking the walk, you know, you're, you're, it's, you're, the kid's not going to do it, you know? So that right. is just beautiful. And I love that you are now like a role model um, in your family, your community, and you're changing the game. That's just awesome. I love that, Adris. Despite um, what people told me, I couldn't. Exactly, exactly. You need a bumper sticker that says that on your Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, and Danny, number by esteemed panel number two. Danny, there are so many things. Uh, I mean, I could probably do a 20 slides on all of your accomplishments. I was like, this is overwhelming. This man has done a lot, and I just, so will you tell everybody a little bit about your background? I know we could probably do a whole hour on everything that you've done, yeah. Uh, yeah. but um, a little bit about background and why are you passionate about mental health? What drew you to mental health? Hi, I'm Danny Ross. I'm a licensed professional counselor supervisor. And one of my reasonings for being um, so adamant about mental health and making sure that people get mental health is because I was a youngster and Mental health was not talked about. We didn't say we needed help. We went to church and if church didn't offer it, hey, you just on your own. Wow. And so it took me going to get my master's in college to realize that I wasn't crazy as we, we call it um, in my family system. You know, you know you're, you're, you're crazy if you can't handle life on your own. You're crazy if you can't handle this or you're just weak. And so mm -hmm. for me, I've come to recognize that Black men have been um, given a, a, a bad taste um, when it comes to 
counseling and therapy and what it looks like. And we've also been told that we don't have, we don't get an opportunity to talk about our feelings and we don't get safe places to be vulnerable. And so one of the things that I wanted to do was make um, communication, counseling, very accessible, very easy to do. Um, not that I'm trying to get into your head or anything, but I wanted to introduce it more so as conversation. And I wanted um, guys in particular to see the benefits of going to counseling and working through some of the stuff that's been programmed that probably is not oftentimes true. We just kind of continue it because it's something we know. Um, I use a, a technique called transaction analysis theory. So a lot of times there are different um there are different egos. We have the parent ego, we have the child ego, and we have the adult ego. And oftentimes the child ego is told who or who or what that person is to become based on what the parent ego tells them. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the parent ego has so many distortions of their own and ideas mm -hmm. that are not true. And then we're, we're selling these to our youngster mm -hmm. and our youngster does not, you know, the youngster becomes an adult and they're carrying out that same mission, that same, the same ideas about how to deal with life, how to deal with relationships and which is, which some are just really messed up. And so I think in counseling sessions, I have been able to help men particularly, and even just black families recognize that you don't have to keep acting out as the child. You don't have to keep trying to get permission and approval but yes. what we want you to do is to move to a place of adult to where you're comfortable making your own decisions <laughs> living your own life doing what you're supposed to do for you and we're not dependent upon our um, our parents who can be anyone um, telling us who we are but I'm, I'm confident in my own uh, adult abilities and I get to move to that place to where I'm just not acting out, but I'm living as an adult in my decision making. So I've had an opportunity to write a couple of books. Most of them are connected to messaging and, and things of that nature. Some on parenting, one is on grief and loss. Another is on, oh, just in general, just the messages we keep and, and how they, uh, they can shape and harm us. Oh, and I did one specifically for Black men, the messages we carry. So uh, got a couple of things. I yeah. love that, Danny. I love that. It's, so it sounds like, particularly with like Black men, they're sort of taught ingrained to shut down their feelings at a very young age. Like, mm -hmm. it, like have that avoidant attachment in relationship styles. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm very familiar with that, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and dating and stuff like that. It's, it's, um, it, when I learned about attachment styles and especially the avoidant type, I, I just found that so, I mean, so sad. I mean, why are, mm -hmm. so is it just, it's just like ingrained, like why are, why are they taught to shut down their feelings? Well, I think part of this is, is cultural. You go back historically to slavery. A lot of times we did not have opportunities uh, to share how yeah. we felt. Yes. So right. some of that stuff is ingrained in our bellies and is transferred yeah. generationally yeah. to we exercise what we didn't have. We exercise what we were taught. 
And mm-hmm. I think subconsciously, a lot of that stuff is exercised and retaught. And instead of challenging some of those things, we just keep passing it along. Yes, so yes. I love this panel because yes. we're getting an opportunity to to crack some stuff open and saying you don't have to live like this. This is That's not right. the norm. Yes. And you can do something about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about that. Yeah. It's time to break the generational curse. It's time to change up the DNA and heal that stuff. Exactly. Thank you so much. And Mr. Jared Denzel, um, I just love your Instagram. You're a mental health advocate. You, you have your own story and your own journey, like a lot of us, but a lot of people don't share theirs. So tell us, the, our audience, a little bit about your background and why it's important that you share your, your story and why it's important to you to reducing and finding solutions to mental health stigma in the Black community. Okay, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Christine. I'm very excited to be here. So I want to say, first of all, I don't have a million degrees or licenses or all these other things. I am not a therapist. I'm just a regular old person. But (laughs) I've been through a lot of crazy things in my life. um, And I feel like I'm very comfortable with talking about it. And through that, I have helped and hope to help even more people. Like my main goal is to normalize conversations around mental health. Cause like Danny was saying, as black people, but especially as black men, that's just not something we do. Like we just don't mm-hmm. talk about feelings. Like daddy's cold, granddaddy was cold. That's just how they were. And like, you end up taking on a lot of that yourself. But because I grew up as a gay black kid in the South, um, I was ostracized in a lot of different ways. In all of the ways I was ostracized, I didn't really fit in. And that can really mess with your mind. And I think in high school, it sent me into uh, a state of depression. But at that time, I just thought I was sad. Like, I didn't even know what Mm -hmm. depression was. We didn't Mm -hmm. talk about it. We were real churchy, like how Danny was saying. So it was like, pray to Jesus and Jesus will fix it all. If he does it, then oh, well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, So when I got into like my... Uh, late 20s, I actually started taking depression medication because it got really bad. Um, and, but I've always been open with it person to person. But then last August, August 2021, my friend and roommate, we had lived together for three years, Garrett, um, he uh, died by suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, we moved out, like, moved in in the July. I moved to D.C. He moved to Atlanta like three weeks after we moved away from each other. I got a call at dinner saying that he had died by suicide. And I had I had no clue. Like Gary was quintessential on top of the world, was a flight attendant, had a huge personality, all these things. Um, so when I found out that he passed away, like that really shook me. And I remember feeling a lot of guilt because there were times where I could have talked to him about what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't mm. either for embarrassment or not wanting to share it or whatever. And I remember after after he passed away, I was like, you could have helped him. Y'all could have helped each other because clearly you were both going through the same thing. So after that happened, I decided to start using my social media and just talking about everything that I've been through, like my depression, my anxiety, suicide ideation, issues with drugs. I've had a lot of issues that you can tell, but like I just decided to start being open with it because when I started talking more, I saw a lot of other people also have a lot of issues. We just act like we're fine all the time. Yes. And like, yeah. that's been the goal is to try to like normalize the conversation um, around this. And uh, that's what's drawn me to what I feel like, honestly, is my purpose in life is to just be as open as possible about it. Awesome. 
Yeah, you. I mean, yes, I have a million more. Sorry, um, <laughs> but uh, I um, yes, I totally, totally, because like, like the my childhood, the things that it did to me, the effects was like procrastination, perfect perfectionism, anxiety attacks, panic attacks to the point when I was like around nineteen, I couldn't even drive a car because I was so scared. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted, so I wanted, and I'm really sorry about your roommate. Um, the thing is, is like depression, it's, it looks, it's like a spectrum, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we, we all have bias of what depression should look like, right? Yeah, like depression exactly. is not always just, I'm in bed. I can't eat. I'm not getting mm-hmm. out. You can be totally functioning, going to work and have depression, right? Right. Yep. Cause I was, I was functioning. Like I was still able to get up and go to things. And if you saw me out, you wouldn't really know. But then I would also have days where I wouldn't shower for like three days or brush my teeth or eat. Like all I would do is just like sit in bed and like stare at the wall. Yep, yep, yep. And let me ask you this, because this was actually a question I was kind of thinking about before this. How did everyone react? Was your roommate black? Yeah, he was. How did, how did your, the black community, your community, I mean, and maybe I could ask this to everyone. How do they react when someone commits suicide? I mean, for for Ma, everyone that knew Gary, it was shocking. Um, what I've noticed always happens after the fact. It's like, oh, I should have reached out and I should have said this and this and that. But like when they were here, we didn't really foster a type of community where he would feel comfortable talking about that if he wanted to. Like, because I remember one time after, what was a young lady's name that didn't go to the Olympics? Um, Simone Biles, I believe, didn't yeah. go. She decided oh, to sit yeah, out. Yeah. And I remember us sitting in the living room with him and like a few other friends. And I'd be like, she got anxiety. She got mental health issues. Like she got all this money and she got this. Why can't she blah, blah, blah? And it's yeah. like, that's why. That's why we don't talk about it. Because when yeah. people do try to, that's what they're met with. Mm-hmm. Like you should be more open and understanding of where they're coming from. Yeah. And right. then, like, I, I, I know that like some people feel like they get to the end of the rope and suicide is the only solution. But I do feel like if we had a community where people were more comfortable talking about things, you would probably see it down to at least a little bit. Yeah. People would oh. Get it off their chest. Yeah. Yes. Because like statistics show the more support you have, the better you're going to do and better you're going to do with any sort of mental health diagnosis. I mean, Adris, you and I see it with our population. A lot of, um, at the County hospital, a lot of our clients, you know, are homeless and have burned bridges and all that. But when you have someone that has a community that wraps their arms around them and is supportive and talk, they just do so much better. They're on less medication. I mean, Mm -hmm. they usually can work. I mean, they're, they're, they're functioning, they're functioning. And so, and, and what I hear you say is like, there's like this judgment, you know, that happens. It's like, and I wonder, is it because like people are just, that's how people's reaction is because it's, it's not the norm and it's uncomfortable or is that what it is, Danny? What do you think? Um, I think so much of it is it's just connected to a lot of different things. And one of the things when we were just talking about dying by suicide, um, I think about just the complication of the grief. Um, You have grief. There are certain things we can talk about easily. You know, he died by cancer. He he died by this or that. But Mm. when you talk about 
you talk about certain types of death, there's a shame connected to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what we tell ourselves in our community, oh, he should have been able to, I should have been able to, mm-hmm. blah, 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 versus it being like, why don't we have uh, uh, the, this communication, we, we work at this communication thing early on. Mm-hmm. And I come out of the school system and so much of what I see now is a lack of cultivation of skills, social skills. Mm. Um, you know, what we're seeing now with COVID-19 yeah. is because kids have their games, they have their friends, and when those things weren't easily accessible to them, those things were those kids' friends. Those were the things that kept those kids entertained. And so when we talk about family, the kids that I, I work with, they didn't look at their family as family. So it's, it's things like that that we really need to be made aware of. Like, just because you live in a house together does not necessarily mean y'all are family and things Ooh, are going so, That's yes. true. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Do we okay. know how to check in with each other? Can, mm-hmm. can I actually talk to you about how I feel? Can mm-hmm. I? Yes. My, my dad died when I was about five. And I tell people all the time, generally your first experience is how you deal with future experiences, particularly Mm. grief and loss. Mm. Well, I just knew when my mama wasn't crying, my family members weren't crying, nobody talked about it. I did not know he was, nobody ever told me my dad was dead. Wow. You, this is, I share this because it's, this is how our community works a lot of times. You just yes. get it through osmosis. You just don't and talk about it. Mm-mm. Just don't talk about it. And wow. Like, and so, yeah. And so, so w- like with my experience, the way I was raised, like I had, a, I have a daughter and I had to teach myself how to connect with your child because no one connected. I mean, the connection was violence, you know? So I had to like teach myself how to connect with my child. Like just certain thing, little things like making eye contact with her when she's talking, stopping what you're doing and just like really have quality time and give, you know, do y'all know that you're like to thrive in life? You're supposed to get 12 hugs a day. So like just little things like that, you know? Yeah. So um, (laughs) I'm throwing it (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think I've been hugged today, so I'm sorry. Um, But uh, but Adris, you and I had a very interesting conversation there today when we're talking about mental health in the Black community and the stigma, and then wrapped up with religion. Yes, yes. So 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 can we speak a little bit about that? um, About so you were saying you were saying that people say people say um, that God you said God is the source and therapy is the resource, right? Mm Yeah, I saw a post like that, which because in the black community, our faith in the black community itself, in the, as in the black church, is a whole community within itself. And so we've always talked about, you know, you go and having a bad day, you talk to somebody, everybody responds to just pray about it. You know, the Lord gonna guide you. Just let, let the Lord let the Lord lead you. You know, and let them guide you. And so a lot of times we're not really when we have issues. It's not really accepted to talk about it, but to pray about it and bring it to the church. Mm. So I think one of the things that could really improve in the Black community is having these churches talk about mental health, providing the resource, because our faith is important to a lot of us, but we need to tie the two together. Yes. Because it's, you know, I agree about praying and things, but 
in the same sense, I think that therapy and resources, all those things are help us as a whole, not just the church. Yeah, yeah. I think if you put those two together, you can really find some great things happening. Yes, yes. I did an episode with my friend Sandra where we're talking about codependency in the African American community and how how it's derivative of you know when they were enslaved and religion was part of that is what kept gave y'all hope, gave the hope, right? Yeah. To your ancestors. So it's like that's not the only thing though, right? Like you can get hope in other places. That's doesn't, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what kept you alive, the codependency and the religion. But also too, there was like some brainwashing by the white masters of what you could only learn because, you know, they didn't know how to read or write. You know, they were taught only things to keep 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 uh, mentally, um, you know, enslaved basically. And so now it's like all ingrained and then the ancestral stuff. And so, um, so, so I love what you said about, because it, my thought is like, well, how can we break that cycle? And I, it literally needs to be kind of done through the churches. Mm -hmm. how, do, how do we, how do we get the churches to start talking about mental health? I, I think, I think we have to reframe it and I'm always about reframing it because yeah. you may have to name it something different from mental health therapy to get, you know, the church involved. I like but, that. You know, maybe you want to have a group to where group every Friday where you talk about feelings and how you feel about life. And, but I think it has to be like anything else. You integrate it into regular life, like yeah. different communities, different parts of the church, the usher board, you know, the food committee. We address mental health issues in those different areas of the church um, and, and not make it something to where they have to go get a whole bunch of training, but we oh, yeah, normalize yeah. talking yes. about our feelings. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. A good both ways. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Dan. No, I just said I wanted to tag on to what Jared said because I think it's so telling. I, I had I wrote this quote in a paper before and it says, We don't have time to be sad or depressed because we have too many things we have to deal with right now. Mm -hmm. And that's yes, from right. Dr. Washington. Another one says, White people can afford to be human, be vulnerable, seek yes. health care. Black people can't. Um, states Dr. Mike, Dr. Dr. Coleman. And so for me, this is really telling as to a lot of stuff that is ingrained in us as, as Black people as to, you should be able to just get over this. And yeah. if, if, if it hasn't caused you, you know, a whole bunch of chaos in your life, it's not time to go to therapy. Right. <laughs> we have to read we introduce that we go to therapy before things get out of hand yeah, yeah. Would, yes it's preventative it's, uh, it's preventative yeah, yeah. it's preventative so, jared was that your experience like it like things how to get bad before you could get help or talk about it i mean now see i was always different i didn't believe in being on the verge of having a breakdown before you mm. finally go to therapy or like losing yes. your damn mind before you decide to go talk to somebody yes. i, I love it. I think in a lot of ways, I think because I was always different, like I said, like being gay and growing up down south, I was always a little different. So I always kind of marched to the beat of my own drum. And I remember as I got older, when I started going through feelings of depression again, I remember saying like, this, 
this sucks. Like, this fucking sucks. Like, I don't want to feel like this all the time. And if going to a therapist or trying depression medication will make that better, then yeah, I'm going to try it. Like, I never yeah. was that person that was like, no, I've got it all together. Yeah. Because I know I'm a hot mess. So I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to act like I'm fine all the time yeah. if I'm not. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not helping anybody. Certainly not helping yourself. Can I ask Jared a question? Yeah, go ahead. Hey, hey Jared, I wanted to know, what was your experience growing up and being introduced to mental health? Did your family make it, did they normalize it or was it always something there or mm-hmm. you just normalize it for yourself? There was nothing there at all. My, my experience was very similar to yours, Christine. Like my dad, when I was in high school, we used to fight down to the ground. And I don't mean no, like, no shoving. I mean, like, I used to swing on my dad like he was somebody that owed me money. Um, and I, and the, the, the thing is, like, I say it in a funny way because you kind of sometimes have to find humor and harmful yeah. things because that's what makes it easy to take on. Um, but that is what happened, and it did mess my mind up. Now, um, I, there were no conversations around mental health. When I was younger, mental health to me now feels like a bit of a buzzword. I don't even remember people saying this when I was a kid. Um, no. I don't remember that word at all or that combination of words. Um, so it wasn't something that we talked about. It really was when I moved to New York City and honestly got out the South and kind of saw all these different types of life and all people doing this and that. I was like, okay, life is bigger than what I knew growing up, mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. So that's what kind of made me start looking more into mental health and seeing a therapist. And then also it, it's helpful when you have other people around you that are open to it too. Cause that's right. honest, if I'm being honest, that's kind of what started getting me to go to it is mm. I actually started going to a friend's therapist cause he was going, he was like, I can recommend someone to you. And a lot of my other friends were going because we all had similar backgrounds. Like most of us, like parents didn't go to uh, college, first generation college students was trying to make it and had done well for ourselves in spite mm-hmm. of everything that happened. But it was like, you wanted to get over that other hump of like, yeah, financially I'm well, but now let's work on this too. Because yeah. we all knew with some of the shit that we had been through as kids growing up, that that wasn't normal. I knew I shouldn't be fighting my dad. I knew that wasn't normal. Right. Now I need to unpack that and figure that out. And I had yes. a lot of other friends that had that exact same scenario. Mama yes. was doing this, daddy was doing that. They knew it wasn't normal, so they wanted yeah. to fix it. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what what pushes you towards it. That's awesome. But yeah. there was nothing. We didn't talk yeah. about that as kids I at agree. all. I agree. I agree. I think that I can piggyback on what he's saying, too. I think it's just not talked about. And when it's not talked about, it's not understood. So when that's you true. when people are having these symptoms or talking about how they're feeling, and the response is just pray about it. Instead of saying just pray about it, we should be asking questions about it. Oh, because when we don't talk about it, that's where shame lives, like, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. Shame only yes. has power if you don't talk about it. So it's like this whole shame thing. So I think part of, too, one of the solutions is getting people to, to realize there this is not there's not shame. And actually, shame leads to more depression, more, I'm sure, more higher suicide rates and more, you know, suckiness you know so i think talking about it that taking the shame is will take the shame you know part of the shame out so let me ask you this adris we also had this conversation too the other day how did your family react when they knew that you were pursuing a career in mental health oh the response was that's a white person thing you gonna Mm -hmm. sit there and deal with crazy people all day yep (laughs) you know in a black community it's a white person thing 
you know, we're always taught what happens in the family stays in the family. Oh, you talk outside uh, the family. Some because family if you secret. talk out, yeah, because if you talk out, it's bringing shame. Yeah, Don't yeah. embarrass the family name. And a lot of time, I think that too, in our community, if somebody was back in the day, they'll say that they're just not right. They're just not right. Mm. Or they slip something in their drink. And so if wow. one person was labeled as crazy, then the family was crazy. So it's just something you didn't talk about. We just, you know, if they, you knew they were kind of off or had issues, you wouldn't say to them, it's ill. You just kind of say there's a little off. Yeah. How did, how did you react when your family reacted that way? I mean, honestly, I, I, you know, I, I was okay with it because it's like, I knew what I wanted to do, what I was right. destined to do. Mm -hmm. And now they see the great work that I'm doing. And now they, you know, now people are more in the black community, kind of somewhat getting a little more familiar with mental health. So now they're okay with it. But at first, no, they weren't on board yeah. with that. How long do you think it's taken, how many years would you say it's taken them to be okay with it? To like recently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you got a TikTok? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you got TikTok. Now we're okay. Yeah. I think it's okay. We got TikTok. Yeah. Probably the last year, about last couple of years. Gotcha. Gotcha. Jared, how has your family reacted with all your like social media boldness and talking about your story? How have they reacted? You know, actually, the reaction's been really good. Um, mm -hmm. It is like bridged a gap between, especially me and my parents, because for a long wow. time, uh, me and my dad did not have a good relationship. And like now, my father acknowledges the fact that I'm gay and that's not like there was one time where he hated and it was outwardly bad. Then it kind of went to we just didn't talk about it. So now the fact that he acknowledges it's like those are big steps, yeah. um, but it has helped quite a bit. And even with my my parents and some of the healing that they've had to do in regards to their parents, because at this point, at this point, all of my grandparents have passed away. Um, so they still had some conflicted emotions because they also had very hectic childhoods. Um, mm -hmm. And so me talking a little bit more about mine has opened them up to talking more about theirs. I've had like aunts that have reached out. To, I have one aunt actually a few weeks ago uh, called me and told me that she too had been struggling with depression. And I never knew that because she was like wow. hard working, made money, had yeah. a husband, all that. Like, and she told me about that. I've had other people reach out to me like, it's been shockingly good. I thought it was going to be really bad, but it, it hasn't been. But at the same time, I've also just chosen not to give a fuck whether they yeah. like it or not. Like, yeah. this is something that I Hello. want and that I talk yes. about. And like, yeah. if you're with it, that's fine. And if you're not, that's fine too. I mean, so, yes. so have you been that way? You're like, since the day we're born, like, zero <laughs> F's given? I mean, seriously, like, where did you, like, where did you get that from? Always kind of been like that, but I keep, I feel like I keep harping on this but I think me being gay because mm. I didn't ever really I was never normal or fit in to what they wanted me to be so I was yeah. like well if I'm not gonna fit in then I'm just gonna be all out and I'm gonna just say and talk and do like that's what made me move to New York City yeah. that's what like made me be so open about uh being a gay man but it's also what is pushed along my advocacy because it's like I don't care I live out loud so if this is what I'm going through I'm gonna talk about it and everybody can either I don't know, deal with it or not. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. What about you, Danny? How did your family react? I mean, you've been in this business for a while and done a lot of things. How did your family react when you were starting your like mental health career journey? I think it's interesting. Like, I never took their opinions on much of anything. And I don't mean that to be 
It's just the fact I you have to know what you were created to do because I started going against what was typical Mississippi mm. early, early in my life. I knew it was a world out here. I knew it was a world that I needed to see more of. And my family's, you know, they're very educated, but I call it educated with what you know. Like yes. we're not moving too much out of you know, this mm -hmm. space. And that's wonderful. I love my family. When I go home to visit, um, you know, it just brings me back to me. But one of the things I do say, I, they see the benefits for them now uh, of having a therapist in the family because sure I, I clock a lot of stuff and I'm just like, mm -mm, we fixing to do, we fixing to do something with this. And um I say that's not typical behavior or I'll, different things like that. But I'm the person everybody calls about everybody else. Yes. But then I hear. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to keep it all confidential and tight. Right, 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 right. You, you're like a secret keeper. I love it. I love it. And it's so awesome because like what I think is y'all are not just cycle breakers. Y'all are all like cycle starters which is really mm. awesome. Um, oh, I like that. I do yeah, too. Cycle starters. Okay. Yeah, cycle starters. Let me write a, that down. I did an interview recently with a podcaster named Alyssa Lorena, and she told her story to me about what it was like being raised by a mother with bipolar. And that was one thing that she said was, um, she's a freaking cycle starter. And I love that. I mean, mm -hmm. we've done so much to break cycles. F breaking cycles. Let's start some new ones. Um, That's right. By Absolutely. Doing stuff like this, you know what I mean? And, and mm -hmm. reducing stigma. So, I agree. So let me go back to you, Adris. Um, what is, besides something in churches, what is something else? And I'm going to go around to everyone. Just tell me one thing that comes to mind about how we, besides just talking about it, what are some, what is one way that we can uh, get solutions to reduce stigma and mental health in the black community? I think uh, for, I think one of the things that we can do is, is doing check-ins with people, mm. calling our friends, calling people, our loved ones and checking in and asking them, are you okay? And if the, and be, also asking them if they're okay, not just, you know, a lot of times asking how you doing, but actually how are they feeling? Oh, you know, because oh we could, because, you know, because because a lot of times we just interact with people. Oh, how are you doing? It's just so we just say like, hey, good morning, right? Yeah, and everybody, gives, and everybody lies. Everybody lies all day oh, long I'm and good. say, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah no, I'm they're fine. all lying. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. how are you feeling? And then mm -hmm. asking that oh. question and then when they're honest with you, Give them the resource and give them the space to be able to be open and vulnerable to you without judgment. That's what I try to do in therapy when people come to me, because it takes a lot for people to come to therapy. It takes a lot for them to unpack some of those things, especially the black men that I work with, ex-athletes. It takes a lot for a black man to come to therapy and, you know, to unpack those things. So I think if we kind of do that, I think that'll be one of the ways to kind of break some of the stigma. I love that. And two, as humans, like when someone is expressing themselves, like we feel like we have to do something or say something. And a lot of times people just want someone to listen. 
-hmm. we don't have to do anything but yeah. listen and i know like women more we especially if we're in a relationship with a man and a man comes home and he's had a bad day you know we want to fix it we're, we're all codependent not all but some codependent we want to you know fix it and say well you should just do this and that instead of just validating their feelings like wow that sounds frustrated i feel frustrated for you mm -hmm. or just listening you know that that kind of thing so all right mr danny ross what is one thing oh, okay. what is you go what, ahead. what is one thing um what is one solution that you can think of that would help re reduce stigma I think I think first of all, I kind of want to go through the word stigma. Yes. And I was looking at it a lot and I was asking them like, what is a synonym for stigma? And what came up was stain, shame, and a scar. Mm. Mm. I oftentimes think about we're so ready to attach, you know, our messaging, our narratives to something negative and I was just thinking about the stigma the stigma can be something good just as well as it could be something negative but we tend to talk about stigma when it comes to mental health in the black community as a stain shaming I think part of it is is getting to a place to where we're comfortable and as we're talking here talking about mental health and really setting up safe spaces where you learn how to not everything to show it on your face for one like I, I have some friends who are not good at not showing how they feel on their face but that could mean the difference in a counseling session if a, a mm -hmm. client will come back yeah. or leave because you're so shocked by everything and so one of the things we want to do is normalize counseling. And my clients don't want to know what I know. They want to know I care. They want, they want to know that I'm able to apply the knowledge that I know. But do I have to demonstrate on them? No. They just want somebody to talk to and who's going to help them process their stuff. So I think being more um, available not necessarily with your uh, credentials and things, but being more available as a person who, mm. who has empathy and compassion. I love that. And I love what you said about people's like facial reactions. I have a little bit of problem with that too. Um, <laughs> but, um, but also if you've grown in trauma, been raised in trauma, which most of us have, you're constantly scanning rooms, people's faces. And even if you're not like, you know, having a reaction, you know, people were always looking to see am I going to get hurt or if you like there's abuse you know we're constantly scanning you know is it going to be a good day or is it going to be a bad day um so I love what you said about that about like you know kind of watch your face and, and that was interesting mm -hmm. I, I had to teach myself how to do that too when I had my child mm -hmm. because my mom's face was always twisted um mm -hmm. and angry so I had to like teach I didn't want my daughter like her first memory to be of a you know of a, a terrible face but um I, I love that yeah and 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 being a human and just listening you don't have to have all the credentials and creating that safe space because I think that too like when people in the past and probably growing up their feelings have been shut down or they've been have rejection mm -hmm. you know or mm -hmm. there was a consequence attached to sharing how you felt so it's I guess what you're saying is kind of it takes time right to build that trust and that safe space for people to do that right mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. And all right, Mr. Jared Denzel, um, what is what is something as you you've lived it, you've seen it, all of it. What is one thing that would would help help with this? Um. Well, I mean, Dan Danny kind of said it. I think not making people feel judged, whether that be by how you talk or the mm -hmm. facial expressions. Because I know I've seen people before, like, I've mentioned depression. They're like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. like, oh, I'm like, come on. Like, All this is that? what I'm talk about this stuff now because I said it and you act like you just saw it go. Like, you're, you're like depression, depression, depression. I know, exactly. I'm going to just keep saying it now. Like, it's crazy, but it's like, I feel like more people would be open to talking about it if they didn't feel so judged or yes. try to fix them. I hate that. Like when I come to someone, I say like, hey, I'm I'm going through this space right now. Or I'm feeling depressed or my anxiety is real high. I was like, oh, well, you should drink some tea and hop on a leg and rub your head. Like, I don't want to hear all of that. Like yeah. sometimes if I come to you, it means I'm comfortable enough with talking and I just want to vent. I don't yes. need you to try to fix me because half the time you don't know what the hell you're talking about either. So like, just let me get this off of my chest. Stop bugging your eyes out. Stop trying to fix me and just let me talk about it. I think if we just mm -hmm. stop being so judgy with each other, mm -hmm. we would handle our mental health and our journey to wellness so much better. Yeah, it's yeah. Tough I agree. To be on that journey and you feel like nobody has your back or you feel like you can't talk to anybody because they're going to judge you. Like, that's awful. So you end up dealing with things by yourself and if it's a severe uh mental health issue you may end up doing something drastic because mm -hmm. you didn't feel like you had anybody you could talk to yeah and that's such a shitty feeling yeah i felt like that most of my life i think that's why i'm a little bit more comfortable with not making people feel that way mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. i know adris and i were talking the other day about like when someone has cancer and they're healed or cancer free there's this huge celebration but there's not a celebration when someone finally finds that antidepressant that works or those mix of meds that help their you know, mania, their bipolar. Like, why is that not celebrated when we find a medication that helped our depression or anxiety or a therapy, a therapist that they could connect to? Why is that not celebrated? We need to celebrate those things, right? Yeah, I agree. You know, and just like if your friend were to come tell you, oh my God, I have this lump on my chest, you're not gonna tell them not to go to the doctor. So just because, and so a friend comes and tell you, hey, I'm I'm anxious. I'm having all these racing thoughts. I can't sleep at night. Or I'm not, I'm not having got out of bed for the last week. You're not going to tell them just to pray about it. You're going to tell them to right. go see somebody. So I look at it like, you see a provider, see a therapist. You know, we heal just like a doctor heals. Mm -hmm. We just heal in different capacity. Yeah, yeah. And everyone has their, not one path to healing it works for yes. everyone. You got to find your own path to healing. So, well, thank you guys so much. Sorry for all the technical difficulties in the beginning, but I, I'm actually glad that we just did this privately. And then we're going to produce, or I'm going to put this on our, my YouTube and all that stuff. And I'll send y'all things, but I really appreciate before we end, I want everybody to go around and tell their social media and how they can find you. Adrius, can we start with you and your TikTok? Okay. Uh, my IG is Next Steps with Adris. Same thing for my TikTok and the name of my agency here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. We service all over Texas is Next Step Professional Counseling Services. Awesome. Okay, Mr. Danny Ross. Um, that's at DLRoss72. That's my Instagram. And also I have the messages.net. Um, mm. Anything related to messages and changing the narrative. I love it. 
All right, Jared Keller. Um, so I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and it's Jared uh, Denzel, like Washington, uh, for all three. Um, and if you see me walking down the street, say hello. I don't have an office to reference you to. So if you see me walking down the street, just say, hey, Jared. Well, if I see you walking down the street, will you please scream the word depression at me as I'm walking by on my way to you? Please just go depression, depression, please. (laughs) Okay. Thank you all so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you to all the listeners of How Coronavirus Saved My Life podcast. If you want to know more about me and hear crazy family stories, hop on over to the podcast I make with my sister. It's called The Family Burrito. My sister, Jessie, and I made the podcast after our dad died in March of 2021. We did it as a way to heal our childhood wounds. Now we are healing and now we're having a good time. So if you want to hear more stories, crazy sense of humor and get to know my personality a little bit better hop on over to the family burrito anywhere you get your podcast streaming